We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to our very first episode previewing an event that will bring the world together, that all the most popular people will be at, that is surely going to be the event of the century. It is our preview of the Fire Festival. I mean the World Cup. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, the Fire Festival. The, the World Cup, I keep getting those two confused. If you have seen uh, any of the images going around of some of the accommodations for people staying there, it does have a big Fire Festival vibe. Um, but I, I think this, this hopefully will, will go differently for the people who are making their way there. Um, it it is really, really strange to be talking world cup right now because I'm still thinking about Arsenal being top of the table. I'm still thinking about whether we're going to add Mudrick, Mudrick. I'm still thinking about whether we're going to add Danilo. I'm still thinking about what we're going to do to stay ahead of Manchester city, but at least for the next six weeks, the most important thing that we're going to be talking about is the World Cup. And so this is our tournament preview, the World Cup Daily. Now, what you will be seeing in the coming days as the tournament kicks off is a daily episode appearing on this feed that will be called World Cup Daily. It's still Arsenal Vision podcast, but it's about the World Cup, and it may not feature any of the Arsenal Vision people. So it's exactly like an Arsenal Vision podcast, just with a different title, different topic, and different people involved. That should be very straightforward. If you didn't follow that, I, I don't know how to help you. Um, I do want to congratulate congratulate Tim Stillman, by the way, who won um, for Best Women's Football Content Creator at the uh, Football Content Awards, and Jessica Black, who won Best New Content Creator, by the way. Uh, big fan of Jess here, of course. So with that, oh, by the way, we took third place. Now look, it guarantees us another year of Champions League podcasting. So that's great. It's not what we wanted, but it's a step in the process TM. And the more important thing, joking aside, is that the only reason we made it that far is because of a really overwhelming amount of response and votes from you, from people who listen. And in fact, it was more than we uh, received last year when we won it. So I think there may have been some shenanigans going on. I'm calling shenanigans similar to maybe how Cutter got the got the World Cup, in fact. But the thing is that I do want to say thank you. It means the world to us that, that you would have given us that vote. So with that out of the way, 
we're going to go ahead and we're going to preview the whole tournament today. We're still going to do Arsenal stuff on Patreon tomorrow. There'll be a Mudrick and Danilo scouting video, so you don't want to miss that uh, because it'll be the last time we are ever linked to those players. That's how the jinx works. Here with me now, the men who are going to be taking you through the World Cup, the men who actually have information about the players, the teams, and the World Cup, because I don't, is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello, Elliot. We're back. We're one, back. What is it? One and a half years on, 18 months on, we're back. With, yeah. with, with an extra body. With an extra body. With an extra body. And and the man who appreciates being called an extra body, it's what he's putting on his resume or his headstone, we'll see, is Lewis Ambrose. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. I've been called so much worse, and I've been called worse by both of you, I think, at various points. So I'll take it. I can see the obituary now. Lewis Ambrose, sometimes known as the extra body, lived his life. <laughs> we don't have to think about that for a long time, Lewis. Hopefully. Although you do have a skull and crossbones on your on your hoodie. So maybe you know something we don't. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is painful foreshadowing. Um, so, oh, the good news, by the way, Phil, you'll like this. And people who didn't listen to the Euro Daily, that music is coming back starting with... Uh, Starting with the oh, daily episodes. Hook it, it a, into my veins it directly. Is a banger. 1980s synth music banger. You're going to love it. Um, I think that's what the kids say anyway. All right. Let's kick this off just with quick global thoughts here. Okay. So, Phil, we're going to go group by group. But as we head into this World Cup, what's your global thought? Not necessarily about why are we doing this? Why are we doing this here? Why are we doing this now? But just in terms of what you expect from the tournament, there's been some big news of players having to pull out, obviously, like Nkunku. Ivan Tony didn't get called up because, as it turns out, Ivan Tony uh, has a bet on England losing the first game. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. 232 bets, I have 33 bets, something like that he made. A little sad, actually. Sounds almost like an addiction, so I'll see what that is. So there, I've just turned a joke into a very serious matter, and I apologize. Uh, okay, Phil, please rescue me. What are your global overview thoughts of the uh, the World Cup coming in just a few days now? I mean, it is very strange, isn't it? It's the first time any of us have ever had to deal with or watch or experience anything like this. Um, And, you know, the the obvious reasons are are the obvious reasons. And it's no secret or surprise that the the FIFA documentary on Netflix has been uh, rather aptly timed with with the, the kind of the in sync with this World Cup. So, so look, I mean, ultimately, there's a lot to consider here as as a as a general fan, as a fan of football, um, your morals come into play, your ethics. But at the end of the day, you know, football fans should not be robbed of this footballing experience. And, and you know, there's a lot to consider that, that has been spoken about, that will continue to be spoken about, that needs to be spoken about. Um, but, you know, hopefully here in this podcast, we can kind of just kind of take it for what it is, football, um, one month of football, and hopefully we can we can give some people some information that they wouldn't normally know. Yeah, I mean, I want to enjoy the tournament, and I want to enjoy the tournament as a fan of football. I will also be very engaged psychologically and emotionally in the other issues around the tournament that I have problems with. And one of the things that I think has been so hard in the social media era, not to make it too serious, but social media has created a dynamic where it's never okay to point out that anything is problematic or bad because there's always the ability to point out that something else is also problematic or bad. And so I realize I live in a country that if you make any accusations or questions about the ethics or morality of something happening in another country, people are going to point to the country I live in and say, well, what about these things your country has done? And how could I not acknowledge that my country has indeed done those things? Um, that I I don't feel responsible for them, but they have been done. Um, but the problem with that is it means you can never point to anything and say that that thing is bad 
because there's always the ability for fingers to be pointing back at you and saying, but what about these things that are also bad? And I just, I hate that because it makes it easier for bad things to exist as long as there are people who will be willing to give them cover by pointing to other bad things. You can you never get your hands around the topic you're trying to stay focused on, right? So whether that's the rights of LGBTQIA plus people in certain parts of the world or migrant workers, people could say, well, what about the issues with how certain communities are dealt with in this country or what you've done in foreign wars? All of it's right. But if all of it's right and we never can focus on any of it, we can never make progress uh, on any of it. So it is, it is tricky. And I, I think that as a football lover, I am going to enjoy the tournament. And I, I feel for everybody that feels conflicted about this. And I would be lying if I said, I know the right way to approach that. I don't. I, it's super complicated. And our lives are so intertwined with so many questionable things that exist in our society today. I don't know how to disentangle them. So I hope that people don't take the attempt to enjoy this tournament for a lack of consideration about the issues surrounding this tournament. Um, I hope, Lewis, that I've said that in a way that makes some modicum of sense. And I'm curious, you know, if if you find yourself able to enjoy this at all, because the funny thing is the the person in me that likes to think of myself as ethically upright recognizes that enjoying this tournament requires me to set aside some serious ethical concerns. And then there's the part of me that's just an Arsenal fan that's like, I don't want to think about World Cup right now. I want to think about being top of the table. So all of that conspires to make this a tricky tournament to approach um, intellectually or psychologically or emotionally, you know? Yeah, the, the mid-season calendar of the World Cup is just adds to the, the weirdness, the strange feeling around all of it. I think um, I think you, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. I, th- I feel really uneasy. You say you're going to enjoy the tournament and, you know, it's football, it's a World Cup. I love World Cups. I'm not a huge fan of international football, but I love tournaments. Same. I don't I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it or how much I'm going to enjoy it, how much I'm going to be able to enjoy it uh, because of everything surrounded the situation in Qatar because of the winter scheduling kind of all of that um and yeah I I don't judge anyone who who gets really into it and, and wants to watch all of it and and go crazy and I also don't and wants judge, to listen to a world cup daily don't forget that. for example um <laughs> I also really definitely don't judge anybody who and actually admire anyone who's like yeah I'm not watching it and mm-hmm. I'm completely taking a step away from this. I'm a bit jealous of people who who are able to do that because uh, personally and also professionally I'm not. So I you know hats off to people who are doing that and yeah, I'm this is for me I guess a bit of a thought experiment like I'm going to go into the World Cup and see how I feel about watching the football as it's going on and as it's all unfolding. I don't think I'll get into it the same way that I usually get into these tournaments. But I, I mean, it's still World Cup. I'm still going to sit at home and, and watch all the games. And yeah, and then I think it's just important at the same time to always be shining a light on the, the issues that exist in Qatar at the same time and, and not watch it and basically ignore them and let the sports washing just commence. Yeah, and and to shine that light without feeling the need to solve every problem in the world you know yeah 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 go ahead sorry Mm -hmm. yeah like like you said at the top it's you're never going to get anywhere or make any progress in anything if the response to saying something is bad is to point out something else that's bad like we we can say that two things are bad but one of them is really really bad and we would like that to be different and maybe it'd be a good legacy of the world cup if every nation the world cup existed in was a chance for that nation's challenges problems ethical concerns criminality, you know, whatever it is, was 
had a light shown on it, right? And and so it becomes a, a disinfectant. Light is the best disinfectant. Um, and and these things these things don't reflect the people as well. They don't reflect the players. Uh, they don't reflect. I mean, we've we've got here me and me and Phil, obviously English, and you're American, and England and America are in the same group, and they're also in that group with Iran. And you've got the Iranian team with the you know, the, the fight for women's rights in their country at the moment. Mm-hmm. The Iranian team refusing to sing the national anthem. So it's like these are these things that are happening in these countries are not a reflection necessarily on the people or, or the people that are representing the countries either. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's very well said. Um, it, I think football has to be really careful, and by football I mean FIFA, I mean UEFA, I mean the Premier League, I mean all of it, because scarcity is important. You know, before I ever fell in love with football when I was much younger, the sport that I was most focused on was NFL, was American football. Uh, And the thing that made it, I think, addictive to me at the time is from February to August, there was none of it. There was none of it. And when it came back, as it started to get closer, the sense that it was returning, the excitement that was returning. And oh, by the way, back then, I mean, they've, they've kind of ruined their scarcity somewhat now, but all the games were Sunday and there was one on Monday. And that was it. You got one big day of games on the weekend, and then you had to wait the seven days, you know, for more. And there was this scarcity that created and eventized the sport being available to you. You don't go three days without a football match of consequence these days. And now there's a tournament midseason. And oh, by the way, we never got to miss football before the World Cup kicks off. And we're not going to get to think about who lifted the World Cup before we're already talking Boxing Day games. So this World Cup is going to happen, and blink, you're going to miss it. And it's going to be like it never happened. And, and I do think that if you take scarcity away, that's a sort of take scarcity away, you get it, um, then you, you don't allow people to need the football, to want the football. And you get pretty close to that Mitchell and Webb look sketch of, well, the football is happening all the time. All oh, the football, watch it. It never ends. The football is always going on. If you can find that sketch, you should find it. It is hilarious, but apt. Okay, I think that's enough throat clearing and preamble. We all know where we are in the season. We all know where we are geopolitically. We all know what's going on in the world. You're here for Arsenal. We're not going to give you that. We're going to give you the World Cup instead. So you're here for the World Cup tournament preview, and now we can properly kick it off. Phil, let's let's go group by group. Um, and I have two young children, so you are going to be super impressed. I know all of the letters in order in the alphabet. And I am aware that the first one is A, Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Senegal and the Netherlands are strong favorites, but Sadio Mane will miss, I think, at least a game or two in this tournament. Why don't you kick us off with who of Group A? Yeah, I mean, like you said there, Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, the Netherlands, I think... Naturally, Netherlands will be will be the favourites. I mean, they've they've kind of got a a painful recent history with the World Cup, but ultimately they're one of the most iconic sides to ever play in this competition. And you know, with Louis Van Gaal, they're fun. He's fun. They're quite fun. They've got a lot of good players, and I think they're they'll be looking to make a statement. You know, um, especially because you know you look through the spine and you can see two giants in defence in Matthias de Ligt, Virgil van Dijk, and then you've got quality sprinkled elsewhere, you know, with, with uh, Frankie de Jong, Memphis Depay, um, Denzel Dumfries managed to escape an injury scare late on. So 
Look, I think in the Euros, they, they also gave a good account of themselves. Whether or not they can replicate that form, I don't know. But they, they were strong in qualifying. And like I said, some fun players. I mean, Arsenal fans will be no no strangers to Cody Gakpo and Xavi Simmons, who particularly in the away leg against PSV really um, really performed well and impressed. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing them. I think it's a fun group. Um, but they're they're my favourites in general. Although I've got a little sweet spot for for Ecuador. I don't know if Lewis Lewis has any other um, yeah. any other highlights. Before we move on to to one other question about that group, uh, Lewis, could this be the Cody Gakpo World Cup? Obviously, a player that Arsenal were linked with. We did a scouting video of him on the Patreon, so obviously that's not why we didn't sign him. But um, a player that we got to look at in our Europa League group stage. I don't think he necessarily gets to shine quite as much as he's capable of. He had little moments. Could could he be a player who has a lot to show in a group that maybe gives him a platform to announce himself? Yeah, I think a group that gives him a platform and a team as well and a manager because we we all remember watching Man United's Van Hal uh, or Man, Van Hal's Man United rather breathtaking. And yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think like it's something that uh, that Tim Stillman said a lot about when we were really bad under Mikel Arteta and it was like everything was organized and slow and intricate and you needed players to break out of that to create things. And I think that's what Cody Gakpo is or is going to be for the Netherlands mm. this this next few weeks is the player that sort of breaks free from Van Hull's shackles and adds a little bit of directness and, and pace and verticality to the team. So yeah, he's he's probably the player who... Him and Memphis Depay, I think if they play well, then the Dutch will be fine. And if they don't play well, then they could be in big, big trouble. Yeah, that sounds about right. One more thing in this group, list: They always say the tournament loses something when the hosts go out. It may oh, lose something early this It may lose something early this time. Um, one, two, draw, drew three, lost five, minus 15 goal difference in qualifying. They're obviously going to get to be through as the hosts any expectation of Qatar making this interesting, surprising? I mean, I don't know how much home support... I don't know what home support's going to look mm-hmm. like or feel like in this World Cup. Presumably, it will still be somewhat in, intense, I would imagine. No reason why it wouldn't be any more than anywhere else. But any sense that they could surprise? Because I'm curious how the hosts going out early would impact this tournament. The, I mean, the first thing... I think to touch on is what you said about the the home support. Like I have no idea as well what that's going to look like. Um, but I've watched Qatar, <clears throat> excuse me, I've watched Qatar once in a tournament when they were invited to a Copa America a few years ago and I expected absolutely nothing. And then they turned out to be pretty good and, and gave a yeah. few teams a scare in that tournament. Um, I don't think a great amount of that team sort of survived and, and still there today, but uh, you know, I, I'm sure that they will not go down without a fight. Even as World Cup hosts, that boost that that gives you, I think the the adrenaline, the mood in the camp, the stadiums cheering for you. On the one hand, I have no idea what you know what it's like to be in a stadium watching Qatar. Uh, on the other hand, I think every other nation will have a lot fewer fans than they would at a regular World Cup. So they could play into their hands and you know they play Ecuador in the opener on Sunday. It's probably the weakest opposition in the group. And who knows if they win the first game, you've only got to win one more game or, or get a couple of points from the other two games and you'll go through. So yeah, it's such a short group stage. Unlike maybe like the champions league where you play everyone twice does open itself up for surprises and you only really need one result to go through generally. Mm. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Um, okay, so Group B may have a bit of interest to our listeners. Group B has Iran and Wales. There are a couple other teams in it, but I can't find them right now. No, I'm kidding. It's England and USA, obviously. Um, I think the expectation for this would be that England should breeze through this group. I'm sure that will be the expectation in England. Uh, the USA, I can tell you as a casual watcher, not been super impressive under Greg Berhalter. A lot of pressure on his job, much in the same way there is for Southgate. But I think Southgate can at least say, hey, I got to a major tournament final on his resume. The USA, there's been questions about who should be picked. There's been questions about a lot of things. Now, I will say, I think the USA has a really impressive array of young talent to call on, which is maybe why there's the frustration with Berhalter that there is. Um, we've seen some of those players in the Premier League, obviously Pulisic not playing as much as he might like or Berhalter might like. Aronson's been one of the players of the season in the Premier League to some extent. Um, really impressive. Tyler Adams as well. Um, Musa and McKenney are in there. There's uh, Gio Reyna. So there's there's a lot of young talent. Uh, Matty Turner, well-known to Arsenal fans, but a team that doesn't look like it has itself all figured out and and England just has so much talent to bring to bear. The question is going to be whether both those teams can get past Wales and Iran. A, a Wales team, obviously, that was once led by Ramsey and Bale. It's going to be a little bit different now. Lewis, I'll let you start this one so you don't have to clean up the the crumbs that Phil leaves behind. <laughs> but does this group come down to the game between USA and England in your mind, which, by the way, is being played in America on Black Friday, uh, so discounts everywhere. You can get those bargains like a, a crappy television that's been marked down to an even lower price. You can go into a Walmart and fight. Do you think Americans will stop fighting each other in Walmarts long enough to observe this this crunch fixture? Yeah, to celebrate the greatest American victory against the English in centuries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty Do sure. Do we have another victory? I, I'm, I struggled with it. Oh, yes, that's right. 1776. Right? Yeah, there was, okay. there was one that I think mattered one, one quite a lot. Yeah, I do not have, like, you know, full disclosure. I don't really care about England and how England do. Uh, mm, so okay. this is not me speaking as an England fan. Uh, Why I do you would... hate Bukayo Saka and Ben <laughs> and Aaron No, I, I, I hate the English people who hate them. Um, Got it, okay. <laughs> Got it. To- Tottenham fans, basically. Basically. Um, I, I think Gareth Southgate is, is really poor. I think England probably on paper have pretty much the most talented team in the world um, or squad in the world. And he cannot put them out in a way in recent months that either keeps clean sheets or scores any goals. So the form has been hideous preparing for the tournament. I think it's six games without winning. Um, I think they didn't score in four or five of those. They didn't, they only kept a clean sheet in one of them. it's not good. And I think when Southgate has a big problem that he just leans into conservatism when things are going badly, he he digs deeper and deeper into that. I, as an Arsenal fan, I think we'll see Bukayo Saka probably playing as a left wing back, which I'm sure will make many people's heads explode as they wonder what the hell Southgate's doing. I'm sure we'll see Harry, lots of Harry Maguire. Um, it's, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's entertainment. <laughs> so I... I think England have the team to go and win the tournament, but I don't think they Southgate's got close to figuring out how to put them up, out in a way to win the tournament. And, and to be honest, you know, I think there are groups with like one really weak team 
I don't think this group has one. I think Wales have, you know, they've gone, they've shocked people at, at two of the last three major tournaments. I could see Wales causing another surprise or two. I think you know, Bale and Ramsey, we all know about their quality. Kiefer Moore's been great in the Premier League this season, but was also great at the Euros for, for Wales as well as a big target man who, you know, I guess Sam Vokes used to do that job or just allow Bale and Ramsey to drift around him and find space. So I think that could be a tricky game. I think the USA game could be a tricky one for England. And going in cold for the game against Iran, that looks like a potential banana skin as well. I I wouldn't be surprised to see any team. Like England and, and the US are the favourites, but I wouldn't be surprised to see any team make it out of this group. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can't look past England at least getting out of the group um, as bad as I think Southgate is, and I'm not a big fan of Southgate. I just can't see it. I, Phil, let me ask you just one question on the England squad because I, I need to get my head around this. I really believe Jaden Sancho is a tremendously talented player, but he is determined to prove me wrong. He has been so bad at United, and I can't decide if it's a United thing or it's a Jaden Sancho thing. The kid put up numbers that are just outrageous at Dortmund, and he hasn't been picked for England. His career looks like it's just disintegrating before our eyes. Still very young. Can you tell me a little bit, just like super quick, is Jaden Sancho maybe not good? Because I, I just assumed, I, I loved watching him at Dortmund, candidly. Like, I thought he was brilliant. Uh, a fantastic dribbler, had, had the killer pass, could score a goal. Like, what what happened to Jaden Sancho? Is it just, he's not good? <laughs> I mean, probably Lewis is the one to answer this question, yeah. to be fair, having watched him for That's true, know, yeah. three years. Um, but, f- you know, one major caveat is is the Bundesliga. Um, mm-hmm. That's, you know, there's a lot of space in the way that this league plays. Werner, Havertz, Sancho, you name it. You know, <laughs> both in behind and in so-called air quote crowded areas. I still think compared to the Premier League, they get a lot of space, which is, you know, like you said, we've seen some players not, not be able to translate that form over into England. Physically, I, I think he lacks a burst. Um, to really get away from defenders in in England. I don't think United have have known where to put him. He's been on the left sometimes, he's been on the right, he's been kind of as the number 10 playing off the striker. And the move to me didn't seem like a well-thought-out one from either side. And it just felt like they both wanted the moment and the signing and the, the clamor that came with it, but not much thought was put beyond that. And I just think... He's lost. He's a bit lost, and it's a shame because he is a wonderful player. But at the moment, he's he's one of many in an England um, sort of selection pool, and and frankly, he didn't deserve to be on this list. Yeah, um, Lewis, I don't want to shut you out of that. It's not fair. You watched him so much. So just in thirty seconds or less, why is Jaden Sancho bad now? Uh, partly, I think what Phil said, the sort of explosiveness isn't there. If you look at us and look at Martinelli and Saka playing in those positions, mm-hmm. I think he lacks a bit of that. And I also think he needs to, or he's best when he's the hub of a team um, or the hub of an attack. And you've got a wing back flying outside him. You know, I think you watch Arsenal and the hub of the attack is is quite obviously Martin Odegaard. And he turned up at a Manchester United where Bruno Fernandes was there. And then... Bruno Fernandes has the ball or doesn't have the ball, but wants to receive the ball. And he's pointing to Jaden Sancho, telling him to get out of his way to give him more space. And Sancho can't sort of drift and play where he wants to play. And I think that's his biggest problem. Without a coach like Guardiola with Grealish at City, for example, who can not use him as that hub, but then still use him in a way where he gets plenty out of him. 
I mean, like, if you put Jaden Sancho in the Shaka role at Arsenal, would he suddenly look like a player, or is it just that he's not as good as we thought? I, I think it's probably a mixture. Um, mm. Yeah, all of Jaden Sancho's best form came with a really aggressive, offensive fullback outside him, or or a fullback who would go either Guerrero on the left, Hakimi on the right, a fullback who would go inside or outside, and really attack-minded, really super technical players that he could combine with. And at Man United, he's played mostly with Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the right or, or Luke Shaw on the left, and it just really hasn't come together. Um, yeah. Like Phil said, he's not like, you can't, it's weird, like he wasn't in the, named in the England squad and nobody even mentioned it because it just wasn't a surprise to anyone at all. He's been so poor for the last year or two. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, well, so Phil, on, on Group A, we'll stay here just a second longer because obviously there's, some intense interest, I would suspect. Um, let's talk the Arsenal players between Ramsdale, White, and Saka. What's your expectation for playing time? I think Saka under Southgate has been a nailed-on starter, but whether or not he's a nailed-on starter now remains to be seen in terms of the system. And do we want? You know, is he going to play wing back? Is he suited for it? I think White and Ramsdale. Something would have to happen for them to get in the team. You see it the same way. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think Saka will start, whether it's left wing back or right wing. I think he's probably the best option in both positions. Um, And that's just not me saying that as an Arsenal fan. I genuinely think Southgate likes him. And and we don't really have anybody else in the squad like Saka who can do everything. Um, So I think he's kind of a unicorn in that sense. But unfortunately, I, I think... Southgate is pretty wedded to Jordan Pickford in goal, even though he's made some errors of late. And uh, even if Carl Walker doesn't play the first game, I still don't think Ben White will get a look in because he'll probably play John Stones. I mean, I don't know why he's brought both Eric Dyer and Harry Maguire plus Connor Cody. I mean, they all play in the middle of that three. So, so maybe there is a window for Ben White, but I just think something will have to happen, i.e. an injury or someone having a terrible, terrible game. Do you, do you think it's a bit ridiculous like what, what the goalkeeper situation is for England? Because the goalkeeper with the most clean sheets and the best goals against record in the league for the team that's at the top of the league seems to be basically third choice behind Pickford, who's just a mess. Pope is good. I think he's good. But like the guys that face more shots always seem good. The other thing I will say is like you just can't play modern football with a, a a keeper that can't play with the ball at his feet. Now maybe England are not going to play that way as much. God knows with Maguire back there, you don't you don't want the ball at people's feet, but like Ramsdale can help you get out, help you progress the ball, help you build from the back. And against teams especially like low possession teams like Iran and Wales, you know, and you need to get the ball up the pitch. You need, like, it just strikes me as strange that everybody's just accepted that Pickford gets to be the guy and Ramsdale, who's sitting there saying, um, fewest goals, and I get the fewest goals allowed thing is not because of Ramsdale per se, but certainly the ball progression components are have a lot to do with him. Do you, do you find that situation odd? Because I, from the outside looking in, I find it strange. Kind of, but I, I first of all, I think Jordan Pickford is much more capable with the ball at his feet than Nick Pope. Um, that's for sure. I think Nick Pope's a bit, you know, you know when you put like three kids in a jacket and they're all like stumbling all over each other. I think that's what Nick Pope looks like. Um, but 
I, I don't think his form's been great recently at club level, but at the end it just goes down to trust and having been in that, you know, this situation before, high intensity, high pressure World Cup, you know, he's had him in the Euro, Southgate used him in the penalty shootout against Colombia at the World Cup. You know, I just think he's tried and tested and, you know, he he hasn't done anything bad enough to lose his place, but it's a very weird situation, the goalkeeper. Um, and I do think Ramsdale's a little bit unlucky, but he's in the thinking and that's and that's a positive step, I think. His yep. biggest problem, I think his biggest problem is just timing. Like goalkeeper often feels like it's kind of a case of who gets there first. And like Phil said, Pickford hasn't had any hideous moments. And then it's really hard to drop a goalkeeper because if you drop them and then someone gets injured and you need to bring them back in, that faith is, the faith in the player, the trust in the player to perform has kind of been lost compared yep. to other positions where you just sort of naturally rotate and maybe get the chance to win your place. It just You don't really have the chance to do it the same way in goal. Yeah, I think that that is fair. Um, but this is where I think a manager just has to... has Like, international managers... They're not, they can't be master tacticians, right? They just basically say, hey, we're going to go 4 3 3. Their job is to pick the, pick the players and keep the group happy, right? Pick the players and keep the group happy because you, you don't get preseasons and tons of work to do with them. I think what you want to do is pick players that are comfortable in the system you're using and pick players that will be able to go out there in good form and do what you're asking them to do because it's similar to what they're doing for their club, especially like right now. Look, you're going into a tournament where they've just been playing club football. Don't ask Saka to play wing back. That's not how he's playing right now, right? Uh, don't don't ask players to like. Don't pick Maguire. He's not playing right now. That's where a manager and and part of what a manager has to do. You have to have the bravery to say to a player who's held a position for a while to say, "I'm giving it to someone else," because right now that position should be theirs. I think the team that's going to win this World Cup is the team that's able to pick the players that are in the best form for their club right now and put them in a position that's as close to what they do for their club right now. Right? I mean, that's that's it. Keep them going. Keep them, create that sense of continuity with what they've been doing. As a last th- thought about the USA, and I think, Lewis, you're the right man to answer this, actually. Could this be the Gio Reyna tournament? Um this is a player who's been injured so, so much, but talent-wise, there's no denying that he can provide something really special to a game. There's some of that Bundesliga factor in there, similar to like a Jaden Sancho, but he's got a real burst. He can drive through the midfield in a way that I don't think USA has any other players that can. Uh, Tyler Adams, not so much, maybe more of a possession player, but like Gio Reyna could be the guy for the USA. No one knows much about him outside of Dortmund right now because he hasn't been playing a hell of a lot. Is he fit enough? Is he ready? Is he going to hold up? Can he be the guy that changes the perception of the USA and 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 what the USA can do in the tournament? The fitness is the big, big question, uh, especially playing playing three games in the space of what a week. That's going to be the problem or the the stumbling block. I, I fear. I would love it for him if he could stay fit because like the talent, there is no question. He's as the last couple of years we've seen Pulisic not really playing that much at Chelsea and. When Giorena has been fit, he has been brilliant for Dortmund. Um, I guess you know for for anyone who hasn't seen him that much, and, and for Arsenal fans especially, I'd probably compare his the his way of playing to someone like Emil Smith Rowe, just a player who receives the ball and the game accelerates every time he gets the ball. Um, if America can can play and play through him, and to have him Pulisic and Brendan Aronson in one team. It's not a midfield or the sort of creative positions anyway that anybody is going to 
fancy coming up against, I don't think. Those, those are all three players who can you know, turn the game on a dime and make something happen. So they'll bring energy, they'll bring pace, they'll bring dribbling. There's a bit of everything between the three of them. And for Reina, I really, really hope that he can stay fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think we <clears throat> should move on from Group A. Uh, B, pardon me, Group B. A in some of our hearts, but but B as far as the World Cup is concerned. Because there's something much, much more important that we have to get to. I know you say, how could something be more important than Group B? How could something be more important than Group B? And it's a fair question. It is. I mean, that that feels like the thing that's most important right now. But I would argue that the thing that's most important and you may disagree, is making sure that your privates are well-shaved. Uh, to me, that's the thing that's most important. And, and look, if you're going to play football in the desert, in the heat, that extra hair, that's not going to suit you. It, it's not going to suit you. And I, I'm speaking to two hirsute gentlemen right now. So I think maybe this message is directed to, to Lewis and Phil, who I suspect could use the most powerful purpose-built trimmer in the world, the lawnmower 4.0. It's wet, dry, long battery life. It is an astonishing feat of engineering, the way this thing just takes hair off your privates. Um, share it with your partner. Leave it in the shower. One day you use it, one day they use it. I mean, that, that's love. That's what love is about. Love is about sharing. And, and let's face it, when you've had two kids with someone like I have, you're not going to complain about whose hair is on the shower floor or on your tree. It's getting, it's getting a little weird. It's getting weird. Uh, 4,000K LED light. Long battery life, induction charging, wet dry. There is also the chance to get the crop preserver, which is their their deodorant. There's the toner. There's the boxer briefs. I love their boxer briefs. I use them for working out because they're really nice and comfortable and cozy, and they keep everything right where it's supposed to be. Um, get twenty percent off and free shipping worldwide with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off, free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code ArsenalVision. And it is the holiday season. It is season of giving. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all for Manscaped. Your Privates will thank you. Now that we've gotten that silliness out of the way, I do want to mention that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, BetterHelp is a service that allows you to get the support and the help you need um, privately, online, quickly, affordably. You can change therapists if you need to. You can get a specialist if you need to. I've been saying this since we started being sponsored by them. Don't think of therapy as something you do only in a crisis. Think of therapy as something you do to avoid a crisis. A crisis is when you let things build up too much. You don't go to the doctor long enough. Eventually, when you go to the doctor, you're going for a reason that may be more severe than you'd hope. Same is true with therapy, right? You don't want to let things build up. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's better, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash vision. And last, but I emphasize not least, you need the right talent in your World Cup squad, you call Gareth Southgate. No, you don't. Bad idea. You need the right talent in your business, you call Indeed. And you don't have to call Indeed because they're on the internet. The internet is still around, by the way. I know in the 2000s there were some questions. The internet has made it. It does look like it's going to stick around. Web 3.0, not so sure about that. Uh, I need to call FTX about my money. They're having a hard time getting it out of there. But 
If you need talent for your business, Indeed is the place where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I want to emphasize today that Indeed's data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Virtual interviews? Well, if you're going to work virtually, but you don't interview virtually, how are you going to convince your candidates that you're committed to a virtual workplace, to remote work? You can't. Because you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you can work remote, but you got to come in and interview. That doesn't make any sense. How does make any sense? It doesn't make sense. You can see the logic. You don't need to install anything. It works right out of your browser. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed can do it all. They know when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in the database that match your job description. Indeed. It's the place to go to start hiring now. Visit indeed.com slash vision. Just go to indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Terms and distance apply. Cost for pricing not available for everyone. Bill, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay, let's get on to Group C. And I think it's an interesting one because Argentina and Mexico will certainly be the ones that people expect to get out. Poland can always be a little bit frisky. Is Wojciech Chesney still there? Indeed he is. Indeed. Saudi Arabia is there as well. Tell me everything I need to know about Lionel Messi's last stand, last chance to win the World Cup so that people will stop saying Pessi is finished in the comments to every single thing on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and so on. Well, it is, it is you'd think, his last dance. And I think the script, oh, that script, it's ready. It's being written by the football gods. And, you know, it, it, it just would be typical wouldn't it it would be typical that finally after all this time um he could finally get his two hands on that wonderful on that wonderful trophy and live up to the live up to the prophecy but i mean it's i never know how i feel about argentina because they've always been very top heavy um you know they've had iguain aguero in the past um you know incredible strikers always but now i I don't see them as strong offensively as I do elsewhere in the pitch. I think defensively with, with, you know, Romero, Lissandro Martinez, with Emi Martinez in goal, I think that's a very strong spine. And then they've got good players in midfield, but also Messi is just coming into this tournament in incredible form. Um, he's playing at less than 50%, I would say, in Ligue 1 and getting two goals and an assist every game. Um, even in the Champions League, you know, it's it's just looking very easy for him and you can feel him charging. You can feel him charging up and it would So similar form to Ronaldo. Me. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been great uh, this season as well. I mean, I don't know. I, just, I, <laughs> I feel it. Uh, there's something in the air for Messi and I feel it um, because... Looking forwards, they've got Julian Alvarez up front. There's there's um, Joaquin Correa. There's Di Maria, obviously, but I just see him there. And he's. We spoke about Jaden Sancho being the hub. I mean, this is the hub of all hubs in Lionel Messi, and I just think he's ready. He's ready to take over. Um, and it really wouldn't surprise me to see them see them come out on top. And I mean, for sure, they should be out of this group. Yeah, I think it's impossible to look past him, Lewis, but. There is Mexico in this group. They will cause them problems. Um, a team that they've, you know, encountered before. I, I, I wonder with Mexico. You know, the, the, it, they're they're obviously a team that that Americans are are familiar with, right? We we have quite the rivalry with them. Um, I don't know if they're quite as good 
as as they have been in the past. Um, it it's going to be an interesting tournament because I think I think there's a small chance that Poland could get through here and and Mexico could go out early. Maybe that's just my my bias showing, but I I don't see any problem for Argentina cruising through this group. Uh, but is Mexico going to maybe struggle more than we might think? What, what do you what do you think of the team they're putting together? Yeah, it, Mexico always always get out of the group. I think it's like the last seven more cups in a row. They've got out of the group and then gone out in the round of sixteen. Um, so you know, I guess for you could comfortably say for the last thirty years or so that Mexico were somewhere between the ninth and sixteenth best team in the world. And I don't probably don't see them that high anymore. I think when you're when you're looking at the qualifying as well, and you're seeing that Mexico and and the US. Are, finishing below Canada and even qualifying to get to the tournament is looking tighter than it was in the past for, for both Mexico and, and America, but for Mexico in particular, I am not convinced. I think Poland, you know, they have Robert Lewandowski and you sort of just have to keep a clean sheet and you can bank on him scoring a goal in most of the games he plays. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, he'll find a chance and he'll probably put it away. So it will be, you know, with Saudi Arabia as the the fourth team in that group with Argentina, who I think if they go, if they don't lose the first two games, they set a new international record for the longest unbeaten run in history. Um, I, I think Argentina are obviously the massive favorites. Uh, Saudi Arabia are the team that nobody expects to get through. So it's pretty much all going to come down to to how Mexico and Poland get on in the game when they play each other. And yeah, it's you know, a coin toss of that when you get to that stage, I think. The Mexican team is old and yeah, it it doesn't look great for them, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that, that group is certainly going to be one where Argentina, Poland and Mexico, if any of them fail to beat Saudi Arabia, that could be the result that caused them to go out. Saudi Arabia may be a chance to play spoilers in that group. Group D, Lewis... France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. Um, it's you know it sets up for everybody to assume the European teams will get through. I'm I'm curious if you see it that way. But France, not the best news going into a tournament. Obviously, to lose in Kunku, I'm not sure that that's a position where they'll be super concerned, given the the immense talent they have. Am I downplaying that? How how big a, a loss is is in Kunku to the France team? I think for the squad, but I don't think for the team, it's a massive blow. You've obviously got Benzema. If he's fit, that's the big question is, is how fit he's going to be. He's not really played for Real Madrid for the last six or seven weeks. Um, if you don't have him, you've obviously got Olivier Giroud and you've also obviously got Kylian Mbappe. So it, there's there are goals here for France. I think the question really is midfield. Um, you know, They've lost Kante and Pogba, obviously the the two who played every single game with Matuidi as well at the last World Cup and they won it. None of those players are there. So, you know, Chouameni and Kamavinga are both at Real Madrid. How Do ready see? are they? Are we going to see them? I, I think we might. Like, they're, they're thin. They're really thin in midfield. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those players, how ready are they to step up is the big question and try and you know, not just have somebody alongside them in midfield. I mean, that those two are fantastic and they've been fantastic for Real Madrid, but they're playing for Real Madrid with Modric and with Kroos. They don't have that at the national team. Um, they, they possibly won't even have Benzema ahead of them as well. So I like my favourites for this group are Denmark. I think Denmark were really, really good. I don't think there was luck involved as they got to the semifinals. Did you say your favourites for this group? 
Yeah, personally, I think wow. they're not like at the Euros. I don't think there was a weakness anywhere uh, in the the team. I see. Mm goals i see defensive stability i see a midfield that will compete with anyone with with hoiberg and delaney definitely physically christian erickson's in great form and obviously missed pretty much the entire euros and they got to this they deservedly got to the semi-final um and and then gave england a real real battle in front of eighty thousand english fans at wembley in the semi-final as well so I think Denmark could uh, could spring a few surprises. I think they could go really, really far, and I would probably personally have them to to beat France and finish top of the group. Phil, any disagreement there? I mean, obviously, as someone who doesn't watch as closely, I I would still put my money on France. I did watch the Euros and and talk about it with you every single day, so I remember the great run Denmark was on. And I remember it sort of spurred on by the the tragic scenes with Ericsson on the pitch. And then obviously the, the great news of him being okay. And the comeback he's made, uh, you sometimes wonder is, is a tournament about the quality or is it about the momentum, right? And Denmark created some really interesting and exciting momentum in that tournament. Can they repeat that? I mean, I, I have a hard time looking past France as one of the top, top, top favorites to go all the way in this tournament. Can, can, do you agree with Lewis that Denmark can shock them here? Yeah, why not? And I mean, France, they know a thing or two about capitulating, particularly after winning a World Cup, which they did. Is this a geopolitical statement or (laughs) last time out? Um, I think Lewis is right. I think Denmark are just so well balanced and strong in in all sort of, in every department. Um, And I think the good news for both France and Denmark is that Tunisia and Australia are not so strong. I mean, Tunisia will take a bit of breaking down, um, you know. They, they were one of the, the most defensively solid teams in, in AFCON qualifying or African qualifying. You know, they'll sit in a deep block and look to spring. Australia, kind of similar. They'll look to defend and spring when they can through their, you know, their young forwards. But ideally, you'd think France can, can top this group. I think midfield, like Lewis said, will be the issue. But going forward and defensively, I just think they have... It's too much strength, but for sure it's going to be a straight shootout between Denmark. And I know, I know it was, a, it became kind of a running meme with me backing Turkey for the Euros, but I, I, I do have a little something on, on Denmark. Nice. That's okay. My, oh, my, no, my intel. I didn't, I didn't know that, Denmark, that was the, so. I didn't know that was the, the, like where I'd pinned my colors as well. That Phil was the cost, the, the curse, horse. the cost, the curse returns. Look, but embrace it with me, Lewis. Embrace look, it. Is it we'll, too late to take all everything I said back? One one man does the <laughs> jinxing around here. Please leave that <laughs> to me. Uh, group E, Lewis is actually. You know what? I'll start with you, Phil. Since you know you, you've been getting the second second go at it, let me start with you. Group E is Spain, Germany, Costa Rica, and Japan. And you just immediately say, "Oh, Spain and Germany, two teams in transition." Uh, Costa Rica, maybe not considered a great team. They've been really difficult in CONCACAF, but that's because it's hard to go to Costa Rica and win. That's a difficult place to play. The pitch ain't great. It's a, a weird environment, hard place to, to go win. I don't know that they travel. I don't know that they are going to be able to bring that to the to the World Cup. Japan, obviously, Tomiyasu, a player we'll be excited to see play. So Spain and Germany, are they in transition enough to have a problem here, or is this still going to be easy work? Um, well, first of all, I think this group is just great World Cup heritage. I mean, mm-hmm. Costa Rica, great World Cup team. Japan, they're always they're always around with you know one or two players that you think, oh god, they're you know they're decent, they're good. Um, but I I just think 
even though they are in transition, obviously the, the, the strength and the power of each squad, you know, will eventually um, tell in the end. But I, Spain are just a very strange team because you can't doubt the quality, you can't fault the quality, but on one day they could be brilliant and on the next they could be really underwhelming and just get bullied. Um, but I think there's an exciting kind of young core coming through you know, Pedri, obviously, at the centre of that. I mean, he's incredible, incredible player. Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, you know, Jeremy Pino. You know, there's a new flavour to this team. And even defensively, so no Sergio Ramos, no Gerard Piquet. There's no, mm-hmm. um, there's no Thiago in midfield. So this is this is a new look Spain. Did he um, retire or not picked? Wait, who's that, sorry? He, 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 for some reason, didn't get picked. Thiago didn't get picked. No, yeah. no, Enrique. Enrique doesn't like him. He prefers he prefers Rodri, Coke, those kind of guys. Um, I, mean, I don't think Thiago's at his best anymore. But we saw when we played Liverpool. You put him on the pitch when he's fit. He'll still mm. he'll still do some special mm-hmm. stuff. But whatever, you do you, Spain. All good. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm still <laughs> expecting Spain to kind of turn up, but I don't find them as convincing as I have done in obviously in the last decade. Um, unfortunately for Costa Rica, I don't see much from them. Uh, they've got a few talismans, Kayla Navas, Brian Ruiz. But, you know, the same with Japan. I think they have some talented players around, but maybe they'll just fall short. So um, Spain and Germany, for me, are the ones that will progress. But, mm. you know, I, I, I think Lewis is, again, better place to talk about Germany. Yeah, Lewis, I think Germany, one of those teams with players that you might feel better about if they were doing a little something more at their club, uh, in particular Havertz. Right, uh, Werner is Werner even called up? Is Werner part of this squad? No, he's injured. He's injured. Okay, I I have to admit I had no idea what's going on with Timo. Yeah, so the, the, I guess the big the big Germany talking point is the is the striker crisis because Timo Werner was the unconvincing answer to the question who's going to play up front and uh, and obviously is out now. So uh, they've called up. I mean, the one option is to play Kai Havertz or or Serge Gnabry up front, mm. uh, and then other than that, they've called up. Two players who, before their friendly yesterday, were both uncapped. Seventeen-year-old uh, Yusuf Mukoko, who's been starting and scoring goals for Dortmund in the last couple of months, uh, he'll be eighteen by the time they they play their opener. But yeah, just seventeen at the moment. And twenty-nine-year-old uh, target man Nicholas Fulkrug, who plays for for Werder Bremen, who scored on his debut yesterday, came off the bench and uh, scored the only goal in a one-nil win against Oman. So. Um, yeah, not the most convincing performance to to kick things off. Germany are a bit weird. They like there's there's all that obvious talent there. Um, you know, basically take half the Bayern Munich team, and you've got the bones of the Germany team. But there there's no striker. There are no obvious top quality left backs or right backs. So everything starts to get a little bit makeshift around the edges and. I think Hansi Flick wants to play that the way he's Bayern Munich played at high intensity, high pressing, everything at, at full pace. And I just don't know how much that suits international football with the amount of time you get on the training ground and the gap that you have between matches. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, let's let's speed through a couple more here. And the next one is Group F, Powerhouse Belgium at the end of their run. Canada, a really interesting team. Um that that did better in Concacaf than maybe people expected. Morocco and Croatia. Um, Croatia always a team you're going to look at as long as Modric is still there. They also have Brozovic and Kovacic, so uh, an interesting team. Phil, um, Belgium's golden generation is 
just about done. They're going to try to run it back, give it one more chance. Um, I'll, I'll never write off any team that has Kevin De Bruyne in it. What's your thought on Belgium's one last run at something with their with their golden generation? It's you, it's yeah. difficult because you know I I do feel that they are at the end of their cycle, um, and it's just a normal part of international football, especially because you don't get things like that happening very often. I think Belgium were just extremely lucky to have the players that they did um, all together. You know, uh, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Witzel. You know, it that doesn't happen a lot, and I think their time has passed. Um, and I didn't see kind of enough inspiration, enough excitement coming from them at the Euros. I thought they were quite tired in their three at the back formation with Carrasco playing out wide and just funneling everything through, you know, uh, Lukaku and De Bruyne effectively. You know, they're going into the tournament in in shaky form. You know, they're not looking amazing. I think Roberto Martinez is probably going to leave. Um, at the end, you know, afterwards, I think he's he's had his time there. He wants to be back in club football. So, look, I still think they're good enough to top this group or be one of the two that top it. I think Croatia, you know, Croatia may be in a similar position. I just think how this nation, such a small nation, can produce so much talent is, is again, incredible. Um, Modric, 37 years old, still playing like he's 25. Kovacic, Bro- uh, Brozovic in midfield. You know, and they've got some really good young players as well. And Josko Gvardiol, who's who's going to play at the back. Um, Borna Sosa, again, who can give them some width. So in terms of the group, those two are my favourites. I mean, Canada, what can we say? They topped, topped CONCACAF, top scorers, best defence. Can we count them out? I don't know. I, don't I think, think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Davies running, running the wing against teams pushing up and Jonathan David running on the crosses. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, they could you know, I, I I just think those three Morocco for me, I I think that again they have some talented players, but I don't see them on the level as as the rest. Um, but maybe you never know. It's it, it, like you said, momentum is 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 so crucial in in tournament football. So, um, but for me, Belgium and Croatia should be out of here. But I don't know. I've got a little suspicion that Canada could could have a shock on their hands, like maybe a result, a win here, uh, draw there, something. But ultimately, they'll they'll fall short in their first World Cup in a very long time. Yeah, Alfonso Davies is going to have to do something special, I think, for them. But if if Belgium and Croatia really push up and and Davies can spring on the counter and they can hit Jonathan David, you know, running against those aging center backs, you, you just never know. Um, the game is so slow in international football, and I feel like, you don't know if you're going to get one of those tournaments where every game is one nil. And if that's the case, they certainly can spring an upset. Let's move on. Um, Lewis to, to group G Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon. I mean, Brazil is going to be in the final, right? Or they're going to win it. That's the expectation every, every tournament. And I don't see why it should be any different. Neymar, he, he's it's so crazy, so polarizing because of his quote unquote antics and that he went to PSG for the money. But I think it has led people to underrate his talent, which mm-hmm. for me has been just under Messi and Ronaldo for this whole Messi Ronaldo run. And I think people continue to underrate him and they do so at their peril. Can Brazil be the typical Brazil? And maybe quickly, there's rumors coming out that Martinelli's just been the star of training sessions. I don't think it's going to be enough. 
for him to play much. But will we see any Martinelli and, and Gabriel Jesus's role? How, how much can we expect the Arsenal players to contribute to a Brazil run in this tournament? I hope we see plenty. And I think there are actually two players that Chich will consider when I mean, he knows Gabriel Jesus really well. When he sees more Martinelli in training, I think he's a player who can kind of force his way into the into a team with his Tasmanian devil-like approach. You just it's a whirlwind of of action, and it's just hard in those positions. I mean, Richarlison has played been playing up front for Brazil and kind of you know he, he's been playing better than he plays for for Tottenham. He plays up Thankfully. front, and he, he, well, yeah, and he does all the donkey work. So Neymar can kind of flit around behind and do whatever he wants and go wherever he likes, and Richarlison plugs those gaps. But that's something you can see Gabriel Jesus coming in and doing perfectly as well. So I think you know, hopefully for for all of us, if he gets a chance and gets himself on the score sheet at some point, I can definitely see we've we've watched him all season right he, he could play for any team in the world and especially a team that has Vinicius Jr and Neymar and Rafinha and Martinelli where maybe the burden isn't on the, the number nine to score all the goals so I think he's got a chance I think Martinelli is put it this way the prospect of somebody having to play for 70 minutes against Rafinha or Vinicius Jr and then they have to play 20 minutes tired legs against Gabriel Martinelli. He could be an absolute super sub. Uh, he could be mm. dynamite coming off the bench, I think, in this tournament against tired defenders. Uh, you know, Or maybe in a, in, a, in a game where Brazil rotate in the group stage and, and makes his mark there. So I'm, I wouldn't be stunned if neither of them got that much playing time. But at the same time, I wouldn't be stunned if they ended up playing a fair bit and really, really impressing. Um, yeah, I, like you said, Elliot... Brazil are always one of the favourites for the World Cup. I think this time, rightfully, I see them right up there with Argentina myself. I think there's you know, the, the sort of front four of both teams have the ability to just rip teams apart and everything behind that is pretty solid. Brazil, you know, I don't know if Fabinho will play because they like the energy of Casemiro and Fred in midfield. Mm. It'll be interesting to see if he if he finds a way to get Fabinho in instead of uh, Fred. It's something that I think most of us would try and do, but... Uh, we'll see it's Brazil obviously the big favourites I think it's a really really fun group in total though I think Switzerland can cause teams trouble we saw it at the Euros I think Serbia have are going to be really really uncomfortable to play against the, this huge physical players Mitrovic and Vlaovic up front together could just bully defenders and yeah that's, Cameroon, that's going to be that's going to be interesting to watch how how center backs deal with them well I'm <laughs> oh, like you are not going to get a moment's rest playing against them two up front mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're going to be hungry as well. They've, Philip Kostic has been one of the world's best wide players for a few seasons now too. So there, there are players there, and, and Switzerland too. Switzerland is in great form. Granite Shaq is in great form. He's captain of his country, and Switzerland always do pretty well at international tournaments. So I don't know sort of what the ceiling is for them, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them go on a bit of a run. Okay, I. I think it'll be interesting. Look, obviously, I would love to see Jesus and Martinelli play a role in Brazil having a successful tournament, but I'd also like to see them not play too much. So can we thread that needle? <laughs> can someone thread that? You know, I mean, the Switzerland one is tough because I'd love to see Shaka have a good tournament. He deserves it the way he's playing. And at the same time, he's so important to us right now. And at his age, you know, we just take for granted his durability I don't know that I want him going deep in the tournament, but then what will it do to him psychologically if if it's a disaster tournament? The World Cup is such a 
such a tough one to predict in terms of how players will come back from it. All right, Phil, <clears throat> last group here, and then we'll get to a couple quick predictions and players to watch. Um, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. This is a group that features Thomas Partey, obviously, who I think is the best midfielder in the Premier League at the moment. It features an ever-aging, it seems they're always aging, Uruguay uh, team, a Portugal team that has really, really interesting young talent in it, but has to deal with the headache, maybe now, more a headache than than quality of Cristiano Ronaldo. So this is one that I I could see. And South Korea, by the way, always seems good in international tournaments. This is one that I I think you could throw the names in the air and the two that land face up are the ones that go through. I don't know if what I just described makes sense, but you get get what I'm trying to say. It's a toss-up. That's what I'm trying to say. Phil, is it a toss-up? Another really fun group, by the way, um, particularly with the history between Ghana and Uruguay. Mm. Um, after what happened in the 2010 World Cup, there's a lot of bad blood and, you know, unresolved unresolved feeling there. Um, so I think that's a, a really interesting subplot in addition to Portugal and Ronaldo. I mean, like you said, he's the top scorer, top most appearances, but he's becoming a bit of a liability. And to get him in the team... You have to accommodate him as opposed to having him there, um, you know, as a pleasure kind of thing. And that's not a good place to be for any manager. And I don't know, I just, for me, you know, there's a big emphasis on the fullbacks in Joao Cancelo, Nuno Mendes, defensive midfielder usually drops in. But for me, I just think they've never been able to get all of their talent working from the same song sheet, singing from the same song sheet. And I've got a feeling that this could be a, a crash and burn tournament. I don't know why. I, I've just, the feeling around Ronaldo at the moment is not a positive one. And, you know, that for me is a, a big worry for them. But on the other hand, we were speaking about Belgium's golden generation. I mean, this is Uruguay's very, very, very last chance to get Diego Godin, Edison Cavani, you know, um, Luis Suarez, you know, this, they're a hundred years old between them, you know, the, mm. those three alone. Um, but on the other hand, they've also got some good young talent in Federico Valverde, Darwin Nunez. So maybe there is some, some light at the end of the tunnel about the next generation, but you know, in general, Ghana's a, it seems like they're at the start of their, their next cycle. They're a very young team, the youngest actually in the, in the world cup average age of 24.7, you know, some really good young players, um, Kudus at Ajax, Kamal Dean at Rennes, Inaki Williams, who everyone knows from La Liga, you know, but they've got three dads, you know, Thomas Partey and the IU brothers, who I guess will kind of mould that talent. But for me, they're just a bit too young. Same with South Korea. They play some pretty stuff, but Son aside, they don't have too much in the way of firepower. So for me, it's Portugal and Uruguay. But I think in terms of the two teams, Uruguay, have a big chance to to shock Portugal there. Okay, let's do this. Just enough time for this. Two players to watch each, just quickly, and then two predictions to win it, a sort of favorite one and a dark horse one. So, Lewis, who are your two players to potentially be stars of the tournament? They don't have to be unknowns. Just give me two players, and uh, and, and then we'll come back for your team predictions. Uh, Jamal Musiala and oh, Darwin Nunez. yeah. Nunez is in pretty good form, and like while people know I don't think much of him as a footballer all around, I think as a goal scorer, he can be a difference maker, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Phil, you got uh, two players you want us to keep an eye on? 
Yes. I mean, we've seen a little bit of him already in the Premier League, but Moises Caicedo, I think he's an excellent player and I think he's going to be kind of the, the centre of things for, for Ecuador. Um, I don't know. I've got, I've, got, I've got a good feeling about Yunus Musa as well for this competition. I think he's been really good this season for Valencia and the States will need something in the middle and I think he's got it. So those are, are my two players to watch, but we're quite lucky. There's a lot of young, exciting talent in this tournament. Who's, so. who's the second one? Musa? Yeah, Yunus Musa. Yunus yep. Musa. Okay, I'm just chatting those to you. Let's some someone note those down because we got to keep track of that um, when they all are out in the group stage. Lewis, your favorite near dark horse? Denmark. I've already told you for yeah. for dark horse, not for my favorites. Yeah. I guess okay. that so would that, may, that would be a bit too mad. My favorites are Argentina. Argentina. Damn, you took mine. Uh, Phil, favorite and a dark horse. I'm gonna go. Brazil was the favourites, and just to be a bit different, I'm going to go for Uruguay as the dark horses. Uruguay, interesting. Um, I will go. Can, so I got to pick something different. I can't pick ones you guys have picked. You're, you you're pick, the boss, Ali. You go for you like. Well, <laughs> I, I kind of had a little thing for Argentina. One thing I think, I think you know, Lionel Messi is obviously a huge, hugely popular all over the world. But I think in a in an area of the world where like. I don't think there'll be a team that I don't think Cutter will go very far. So they'll have to adopt someone. I could see them adopting Messi, right? Uh and and adopting that team. And so there could be sort of a home, home crowd environment when they play. So I think Argentina. Um, but what the hell? I'll, I'll go with Brazil as a favorite since no one picked them. And as a dark horse. I, mean, <laughs> I picked Brazil. <laughs> oh wait, yeah, you, you. Sorry, that's my bad. Uh, my bad. So, well, I, you, you have me going one way. I'm, I'm scrolling through the list of teams. I mean, I wanted to pick Argentina, but they're already taken. Um, uh, well, fine. I'll, I'll go with France as the favorite, and as a dark horse. Oh boy, that is a that is a tough one because I think the ones that I was interested in have been picked through. But as a dark horse, I will go with the Netherlands. Is that dark horsey enough? I'd say so. Yeah, they okay. weren't in the last one, so. Yeah, that's true. Has someone jotted all this down? Can someone? We'll get can it. Someone? We'll get it down. We'll get all right, it down. All right, you, you got you guys jot it down. I, I I've done my work for the day, which is listen to you talk. Um, okay, let's leave it there. We will go daily starting Monday. So starting Monday, we will go daily. Now, my plan is to still have Arsenal Vision podcast, uh, probably on Mondays, probably not the Thursday one because I just don't think there's going to be enough. But if there's news, we'll certainly do Arsenal Vision Pods, and we'll cover the Arsenal stuff, we'll talk rumors, and we'll talk Arsenal players at the World Cup. But the dailies will probably be about 30 minutes long. We'll try to hit the headlines of the day, the stock rising of the day, stock falling of the day. Probably follow a similar path to the uh, to the instant reaction pods that we do on Patreon. So uh, look out tomorrow. We're going to do Mudrick and Danilo scouting video tomorrow on Patreon. You don't want to miss that. Okay, Lewis is on Twitter, at LG Ambrose. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you, Elliot. Phil is on Twitter at Phil underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. I'm ready to kiss my social life away for the next month. So yeah, that's that's I'm ready. Plan. Yeah, I'm uh, ready. I, I do. I do appreciate your your intellect, your knowledge. One thing that I think you know about the Arsenal Vision podcast is that we we really try to bring the sincerity and the honesty as well. So I would appreciate you not uh, pretending you had a social life before the World Cup. Just you know, as a thought there. Oh, anyway, just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, that's it. Uh, that's a shocker. That's a shocker. <laughs> says, says, says the guy who like cleans dirty diapers and you know plays with a seven-year-old. That's my social life. So there you go. Uh, okay, my name is Elliot Smith. Please do block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. 
to the extent that Twitter is still around. It's still around for the time being. I think it still loads. I think it still runs. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We love you so much. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Whether or not we wish this was going on, we're going to make it fun. So join us for the journey. Join us for the journey. Um, and with that, uh, join us for the, if nothing more, the 80s synth music because it's it's real, real good. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, your team nil. No, wait, no. Rewind. We will talk to you after your country 10, other country nil. <laughs> <laughs>